Thus spoke Madros and Meglor, and Kelegorm, Kurifin, and Carinthir, Amrod and Amras, princes of the Noldor, and many quailed to hear the dread words. For so sworn good or evil an oath may not be broken, and it shall pursue Oathkeeper and Oathbreaker to the world's end. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. Welcome back to Keep, Keep on, on Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very, very, very excited today because this is part one of the Doom trilogy. That's right, folks. This is the uh, new trilogy for part one of season five, yeah, Doom yeah, yeah. trilogy. And we've been we've been thinking about this one for a while now. It's been getting us pretty excited. Yeah, we're this episode's going to rule you guys. It's going to be also Excerpt City, which we all know that you love. Super, a lot of excerpts. So buckle up, guys. Yeah, so a little bit about the Doom trilogy that we imagined a while back. So basically, we chose to cover Tolkien's concept of the word Doom, D-O-O-M, in uh, three parts and by that we mean because he often uses the word doom when talking about people's destiny or destiny or fate yeah Yeah. like yes it's i i kind of it's kind of like they're like your doom is your part in the song in the great song yeah what i mean your part in history your part in history and there's three things that uh kind of um guide doom in specific in different ways yeah we kind of broke doom down into three categories which will be our three episodes of this trilogy so we're talking First off, today we're talking about oaths, and then uh, prophecies, and also curses. Three different dooms. Yeah, because each of these really alters or guides somebody's doom in some way. Like, in a, in a sense, each of these represents a paradigm shift in the song, or like a, yeah, a major event in, in yeah, history. exactly. So yeah, today, let's get into it. Oaths, part one. Oaths. And this is a uh, this is going to be a big subject, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of oaths in Tolkien, so uh, let's define an oath. What is it, Joel? So, an oath. The definition given by Oxford English Dictionary is a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behavior. So, oaths tend to be like we mentioned a, a paradigm shift in someone's destiny or someone's doom. Right. All yeah. All the future behavior that person linchpins on the oath because they have to abide by it. Yeah, and which ultimately alters their destiny, their doom. Alters their doom, right? And it can also just seal your your doom in very specific ways, and we see this play out on several famous occasions throughout Tolkien. Yeah, but on today's list, we're going to cover some of the major oaths that are the main driving forces through a lot of Tolkien's legendarium. We'll also cover some more minor ones you may not know about, but uh, you'll definitely know about some of the repercussions of these oaths. They make waves, man. So today for you, we got a dirty dozen of these oaths. Yeah, we sat down. Well, we'd, we'd really been thinking about this for a while, like just trying to come up with lists of oaths. Mm-hmm. And we came up with about a dozen that we're going to cover for you today. Yeah. So number one, let's get straight into it. And these are in chronological order, too. We, we uh, Our lists normally aren't, have no random, no order, but this one does. Chronological. Here we go, guys. Yeah, starting from the beginning. <laughs> so the first one we're going to cover is Fingolfin's Oath. To Feanor. Yeah, and so this is the oath taken by Fingolfin regarding his older brother Feanor. Let's set the scene for this oath. 
The oath was sworn during the years of the trees in Amman. Yeah, and this was during the time of Melkor pretending to be rehabilitated, and uh, he was uh, living out among the elves of Amman. Yeah, and he started to try to divide the Noldor by starting uh, rumors. And what was the main rumor he started? Yeah, so dividing people, he started sending out rumors that Fingolfin, the younger brother of King Finway, was trying to usurp the older brother, Feanor's place, as eldest prince of the Noldor. And this really came to a climax when Feanor ultimately gets uh, upset and draws his sword on his younger brother Fingolfin in front of everyone and threatens his life at the point of a sword. And this was in the year uh, 1490, Year of the Trees. So this is kind of the end of the years of bliss in Amman. Yes. And uh, Joel's going to read for you an amazing excerpt from that. Uh, this is from Chapter 7 of the Silmarillion, of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor. But even as Fingolfin spoke, Feanor strode into the chamber, and he was fully armed, his high helm upon his head, and at his side a mighty sword. So, it is even as I guessed, he said. My half-brother would be befall me with my father in this as in all other matters. Then turning upon, upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, Get thee gone and take thy due place. Fingolfin bowed before Finway, and without a word or glance to Feanor, he went from the chamber. But Feanor followed him, and at the door of the king's house he stayed him, and the point of his bright sword he set against Fingolfin's breast. See, half-brother, he said, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place and the love of my father, and maybe it will rid the Naldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. Oh, what an excerpt. I love it. Yeah, so things are getting pretty tense between these two to the point where now all these rumors have caused Feanor to straight up draw his sword on right. his younger brother and make this huge scene in front of everybody. Well, even they started making swords in the first place is pretty fucked. Yeah, that was And now we're secret. drawing them on people. Yeah, so this is also significant because this is the first time a sword has ever been publicly yeah, brandished, drawn, yeah. brandished anywhere. Yeah. And uh, Fingolfin actually plays it incredibly cool, and he leaves without saying a word. And for his antics, Feanor is banned from Tyrion for 12 years. Yeah, so at the end of those 12 years, the stipulation is, if Fingolfin is willing to release him and forgive him, then Feanor will be forgiven and he'll his uh, banishment will be lifted. Yeah, everything is cool. Yeah, and Fingolfin even assures Feanor ahead of time that, yes, I, I will absolutely release you when these 12 years are up. There's no doubt about it. You're my brother. Yeah. So, in the year 1495, the Valar sought to reconcile the two brothers and end the strife between the Noldor and end his banishment. And just like all great Tolkien characters, they throw a big fucking party for the occasion. Yeah, this is a, this is a wonderful occasion. There's actually a few things they're celebrating here, but it's a huge feast. And uh, Danny's going to read an excerpt about this. Now it was a time of festival, and the Valar joined the children of Ilavatar, and they did eat and drink, and gather the fruits of Yavanna from the earth, which under Eru they had made. At each first gathering of fruits, Manwe made a high feast for the praising of Eru, when all the peoples of Valinor poured forth their joy in music and song upon Taniquetil. This was now the hour, and Manwe decreed a feast more glorious than had been held since the coming of the Eldar to Amman. For though the escape of Melkor pretended toils and sorrows to come, at this time Manwe designed to heal the evils that had arisen among the, uh, the Noldor, and all were bidden to come to his halls upon Taniquetil, 
there to put aside the griefs that lay between the princes and forget utterly the lies of their enemy. Feanor came indeed, for him alone Manwe had commanded to come. But Feanor came not in raiment of festival and wore no ornament, neither silver nor gold nor gem. Nevertheless, he met Fingolfin before the throne of Manwe and was reconciled in word. And Fingolfin set at naught the unsheathing of the sword. For Fingolfin held forth his hand, saying, As I promised, I do now, I release thee, and remember no grievance. Then Feanor took his hand in silence, but Fingolfin said, Half-brother in blood, full-brother in heart will I be. Thou shalt lead, and I will follow. May no new grief divide us. I hear thee, said Feanor, so be it. But they did not know the meaning that their words would bear. Beautiful. That's an epic scene, and also, like we mentioned before, just another one of those major l- linchpin points in history. Oh my god, yeah, the, yeah. this oath is like a precursor to the oath we're about to get to next. Yeah. They kind of sandwiched together, though, in this moment here. That And nobody, that's what it says. Nobody, they didn't know fully what this their words would bear. Yeah, so this does, for a time, heal the strife between the Noldor. It solidifies Fingolfin's position of subservience to Feanor. And this ultimately leads to the death of many of his people, unfortunately, in the future. Yes. As we're, as we're about to find out. Yes. And uh, it sort of um, ensnares Fingolfin in the yet-to-be-taken Oath of Feanor, which we're going to get into in a second here. Feanor's actions are now dictated by his oath, so therefore must Fingolfin must follow where he leads in the yeah keeping the oath, right? Yeah, there's a lot of oaths going on here. <laughs> yeah, so, so this really, Fingolfin tying himself to Feanor in this way with this oath really leaves Fingolfin open to, open to being fucked over by Feanor and the oath that he's about to swear. Yes. And that brings us to our next oath on the list, number two, the oath of Feanor. And this is probably, I would say, the most famous oath mm-hmm. in Tolkien, right? Yeah, because this, yeah, this oath drives a major, a huge swath of history, like the entire first age. Yeah, it's it's literally yep. Yeah, it is the catalyst for the main story of the Silmarillion. Yep, and uh, the, the repercussions are many thousands of years. Yes, exactly. It's, it actively affects it history. echoes it's throughout history. Yes. So let's set the scene for this oath. Yeah. So the oath was sworn in the immediate aftermath of the theft of the Silmarils by Morgoth. And uh, Morgoth and Angaliant they lead an assault on Formanos. They slay Finway and they stole many of the treasures of the Noldor, including. The Silmarils themselves. Mm. This pisses off Feanor beyond all comprehension. Like because yeah, they were like his prized possession among yeah. anything he owned. Yes. Except for maybe his sons. That's the only thing he loves more. Yeah. And he called he straight up calls because of this. He calls for the Noldor to leave Amon and make war upon Morgoth and Middle Earth to regain the jewels at all costs. And he addresses all of the Noldor, and many are moved to his cause. And we have an excerpt from the Silmarillion, going to be read by Joel here. Fair shall the end be, he cried, though long and harsh shall be the road. Say farewell to bondage, but say farewell also to ease. Say farewell to the weak, say farewell to your treasures. More still we shall make. Journey light, but bring with you your swords. For we will go further than Orome, endure longer than Tolkas. We will never turn back from pursuit. After Morgoth to the ends of the earth, war shall he have and hatred undying. By when we have conquered and have regained the Silmarils, 
Then we and we alone shall be lords of the unsullied light and masters of the bliss and beauty of Arda. No other race shall oust us. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, he was a, a fierce speaker. Yeah, I love everything Feanor says is just like my favorite parts of the Silmarillion. And then Feanor, he really fucking does it. He straight up swears an oath to pursue and destroy anyone who holds the Silmarillion against him at any cost. And all seven of his sons take the oath with him. Then Feanor swore a terrible oath. His seven sons leapt straight away to his side and took the selfsame vow together. And red as blood shone on their swords in the glare of the torches. They swore an oath which none shall break and none should take by name even of Ilavatar, calling the everlasting dark upon them if they kept it not. And Manwe they named in witness and Varda and the hallowed mountain of Teniquetil, vowing to pursue with vengeance and hatred to the ends of the world, Vala, demon, elf, or man yet as of unborn, or any creature, great or small, good or evil, that time should bring forth until the end of days, whoever should hold or take or keep a Silmaril from their possession. Thus spoke Madros and Meglor, and Kelegorm, Kurufin, and Carinthir, Amrod and Amras, princes of the Noldor, and many quailed to hear the dread words. For so sworn, good or evil, an oath may not be broken, and it shall pursue oath-keeper and oath-breaker to the world's end. Yeah, hell yeah. So I, I also really love that last, those last few sentences just kind of about oaths. For so sworn, good or evil, an oath may not be broken, and, and it shall pursue oath-keeper and oath-breaker. To the world's end. Yeah, and that's the why we we had that as the opening excerpt. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Now it's, we, yeah. it's huge. Now it makes sense, right, yeah. guys? It, it really, it really uh, just hits the nail on the head when we're talking about oaths in Tolkien's universe. They're a very big deal. It shall pursue oath keeper and breaker to the world's fucking end. And this oath, the oath of Feanor and his sons, is probably like we mentioned the biggest oath in in the entire history of his legendarium. This is huge yeah. and influences so much. So, so let's talk about the. Uh, some of the repercussions of this oath. Yeah, this oath alone may be considered to be the driving force for the narrative of the Quintus Silmarillion. Oh, for sure. If it was a literature uh, class, that's what I'd answer for that question. Hell yeah. Yeah, the oath ultimately leads to many evil deeds throughout the entirety of the First Age. Uh, first and foremost being the three major kinslayings. Yes, the first one, kinslaying classic at Alcalande. Yeah, that was still back on the shores of Amman in the Blessed Land. That was a that was an absolute travesty. Yes, and then the sacking of Doriath, another good one. Yeah, that's very tragic. That's it, that's when we lose King Thingol, right? Uh, no, that's when we lose Dior and Elwing. Uh, uh flees to the havens of oh, Syria. Oh yes, yes. Uh, and then the sacking of the havens of Syrian to try to kill Elwing, who had the Silmaril there. There, it's all coming together, guys. And uh, also six huge battles. Yeah, there is a huge result because he d vows to follow, of all people, Melkor, and he's going to fight him. So naturally, Maybe, yeah. there's five or six, six huge battles back in Beleriand. And five of the six battles in the Wars of Beleriand are direct results of this oath. Yes. And also, it brings about the death of all, of, all but one of the sons of Feanor, who <laughs> yeah. are also bound to the same oath. So, uh, Maglor's the only survivor, and he passed into legend. He may still be wandering the shores of Middle-earth. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, because he threw his into the friggin' ocean, remember? 
Yep, back on the western shores. He threw it into the ocean, and then he spent the rest of his days singing and mourning along the shores. Yeah, and what else does this oath lead to but actually the utter destruction of an entire continent called Beleriand? (laughs) You know, no small consequence, right? No small consequence whatsoever. Yeah, the War of Wrath was was huge. It was the culmination of all the battles and the entire war, all the wars against Melkor. And uh, essentially the massive, glorious host of the Valar comes across the sea and for 42 years of conflict, they pretty much literally destroy and sink the entire continent. <laughs> yep. 42 years straight of conflict between gods and, and semi-gods and, uh, yeah, sunk the whole fucking continent. Yeah, so we're, we're going to end off the Oath of Feanor with a, an excerpt from the, actually, the preface, the preface to the second edition of the Silmarillion. It's uh, an excerpt from a letter by J.R.R. Tolkien to Milton Walden about the Oath of Feanor. Yeah, this was an interesting uh, choice for this pick. Joel Joel picked this excerpt, and uh, he's going to read it to us, too. The fall of the elves comes about through the possessive attitude of Feanor and his seven sons towards the Silmarils. They are captured by the enemy, set in his iron crown, and guarded in his impenetrable, impenetrable stronghold. The sons of Feanor take a terrible oath and blasphemous oath, of enmity and vengeance against all or any, even of the gods, who dares to claim any part or right in the Silmarils. They pervert the great part of their kindred also, who rebel against the gods and depart from paradise and go to make hopeless war upon the enemy. The first fruit of their fall is war in paradise, the slaying of elves by elves, and this in their evil oath dogs all their later heroism, generating treacheries and undoing all victories. Yeah, pretty definitive there. (laughs) Yeah, it fucks things up permanently. And all the good things that come after it are fucked up by it. So let's get into some some other oaths here. Number three. This is, uh, of course, another really famous one. Felagan's Oath to Bear Here. Yeah, so this oath concerns Finrod Felagan of Nargothrond and Bear Here of the House of Beor. Set in the scene. The fourth battle of Beleriand is taking place in First Stage 455. The Battle of Sudden Flame, also known as the Dagor Bragalock. And we've got a excerpt here from Danny. In the path of Syrian, King Finrod Felagund, hastening from the south, was cut off from his people and surrounded with small company in the Fen of Sarek. And there he would have been slain or taken, but Berahir came up with the bravest of his men and rescued him, and made a wall of spears about him, and they cut their way out of the battle with great loss. Thus Felagan escaped and returned to his deep fortress of Nargathond. But he swore an oath of abiding friendship and aid in every need to Berahir and all his kin, and in token of vow he gave to Berahir his ring. The ring... Of Barahir. Yeah, our favorite artifact. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot in the past. And that, of course, for a refresher, is uh, the ring. It's the badge of the House of Finarvin. It's got two emerald-eyed serpents, one crowned by and the other devouring golden flowers. Yeah, and this becomes the sign of the oath to always help the House of Barahir whenever they are in need. Of course. So let's get into, um, this is one of the only oaths that kind of has an, like a, a solid ending <laughs> to yeah, it. Yeah, like a fulfillment. A fulfillment to it, yes. An ultimate fulfillment. So let's get into the, uh, Finrod ultimately fulfilling his oath. Yeah, so 
It was only 11 years after taking this oath that Baron, son of Berahir, would come up out of the wilderness and call upon him for help in the year 466 of the First Age. Yeah, Baron called upon him to help in the unlikely task of retrieving a fucking Silmaril from the fucking crown of Morgoth. Yeah, because this was after uh, Luthien's father, King Thingol, was like, oh yeah, you want my daughter? Here, go on this suicide quest. Yeah, and Baron has to... um go get Felagund's help, essentially. Yeah, he needs help, so naturally he goes to Felagund. And though Felagund ultimately foresaw this being his end, he still chose to fulfill his oath nonetheless. He asked his people if any would go with him, but nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, no one but a small group of his citizens would join. Yeah, and that was due to the growing influence of Kelegorm and Kurifin, those sons of bitches of the sons of Feanor. Sons of bitch. Well, Fain. Muriel's not, you know. Muriel, sorry. Muriel's sorry, name. Muriel. So Finrod tosses down his crown upon the ground and left his kingdom forever. We got an excerpt from the Silmarillion, read by Joel. And Felagund, seeing that he was forsaken, took from his head the silver crown of Nargothrond and cast it at his feet, saying, Your oaths of faith to me you may break, but I must hold my bond. Yet, if there be any on whom the shadow of our curse has not yet fallen, I should find at least a few to follow me, and should not go hence as a beggar that is thrust from the gates. Yes, strong words from our friend Fenrod. And he does ultimately get a handful of men. It was like 10 or 15? Some cool dudes, yeah. During their quest, Baron and Fenrod are captured by Sauron and are imprisoned in the dungeons of Tolsirian, the tower that he himself had made. Yeah, it, it's, I, I want to say poetic. It's tragic. It's poetically tragic. 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 Fenrod tries to fight Sauron with his own magic in what we have dubbed the sing-song battle. Trademark, keep on talking podcast. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, Fenrod is mastered in the end. He is no match for Amaya. And right, and then the, the werewolves. And, and then out come the wolves, right? Yeah. And eventually they eat the whole crew. But when they come for Baron, Finrod must ultimately again fulfill his oath. And this is when Finrod Felagund breaks his bonds and naked he slays the wolf with his hands and teeth. Yeah! And he is unfortunately wounded to the death. And we have an excerpt here read by Danny. When the werewolf came to kill Baron, Felagun put forth all his power and burst his bonds, and he wrestled with the werewolf, and slew it with his hands and teeth. Yet he himself was wounded to the death, and he died in the dark in Tall and Garoth, whose great tower he had self built. Thus, King Finrod Felagun, the fairest and most beloved of the house of Finway, redeemed his oath. Tragic. Yeah, it's one of the saddest parts of the Silmarillion. Everybody loves Finrod. Yeah, especially considering everybody, everybody loves Finrod. He's like everybody's friend. Yeah, the most, it says straight up, the most beloved of the House of Finway. He was also the first of the Elven Kings to befriend men. Yeah, he's and a great men, friend of men. men loved him for that, and he yeah. would share his knowledge with them. Yeah, everybody freaking loved this dude. He, he was an amazing guy, a huge loss. Huge loss. Pour one out for Finrod Felagund, guys. But he fulfilled his oath. Yes. And uh, that kind of brings us to our next oath on the list as well, a Baron's Oath. Yes, of course. This is the oath sworn by Baron, son of Bear here, to the thing, to King Thingol of Doriath. Yeah, so let's set the scene on this, on, on this oath here. So in the year 466 of the First Age, Baron found his way through the girdle of Melian, and uh, that was already on its own kind of a miracle. And yeah. He, he came upon Luthien, daughter of King Thingol, in the forest of Neldreth, and they meet 
and fall in love. Mm. And Baron is brought before King Thingol only after Luthien made him swear an oath, another oath, <laughs> not to harm or detain Baron. Oaths within oaths, guys. Oaths within oaths. Yeah, so Thingol is pissed off because he made this oath not to hurt him, and he wants to hurt Baron, but he can't. Oh, yeah, so he's just going to do it verbally. Yeah, so he just mocks Baron. But Baron snaps back with his uh, heritage and its honorability to rebuke the Elf King, and then he goes on to tell the Thingol his purpose in asking for Luthien's hand in marriage. This guy's got some fucking balls. He's got, there's, this guy's got some, some huevos, that's for sure. Yeah, it's huge because Luthien is the most precious precious thing to King Thingol. Oh, yeah. So what does he do? Because he's an asshole. He gives Baron a freaking impossible task to retrieve one Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth. Yeah, and Baron scoffs at this proposal and accepts it nonetheless. He swears he will have a Silmaril in his hand the next time he sees Thingol. And uh, we got an excerpt from the Silmarillion by Joel about that. But Baron laughed. For little price, he said, do elven kings sell their daughters for gems and things made by craft. But if this be your will, Thingol, I will perform it. And when we meet again, my hand shall hold a Silmaril from the Iron Crown, for you have not looked the last upon Baron, son of Barahir. And then I imagine he swung a, his cloak around himself. I literally... Yeah. And left. Yeah, he did like a hard step, turned, yeah, turn. swung his cloak, and walked out. Out of here! After a really long story, we we just heard we we just heard part of it in the uh, in the Finrod oath. But after a really long story, Baron does technically fulfill this oath, and he actually returns to Doriath to report that his oath had been fulfilled because it has technically yeah, technically again walked. this is true. Yeah, but there was a little caveat and. A little uh, bit. And uh, we're going to hear about that in this excerpt that Danny is about to read for us. Then Baron led Luthien before the throne of Thingol, her father, and he looked in wonder upon Baron, whom he had thought dead. But he loved him not because of the woes that he had brought upon Doriath. But Baron knelt before him and said, I return according to my word. I am come now to claim my own. And Thingol answered, What of your quest and what of your vow? But Baron said, It is fulfilled, even now a Silmaril is in my hand. Then Thingol said, Show it to me. And Baron put forth his left hand, slowly opening its fingers, but it was empty. And he held up his right arm, and from that hour he named himself Camlos, the empty-handed. Then Thingol's mood was softened, and Baron sat before his throne upon the left, and Luthien upon the right. And they told all the tale of the quest, while all there listened and were filled with amazement. Yeah, so this is when he tells King Thingol about his encounter with Karkaroth, where the giant wolf Karkaroth bit his hand off that yeah. was holding the Silmaril. Straight up. So technically, yes, my hand still holds that Silmaril in yeah. the stomach of the wolf. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, this isn't part of the, the oath or whatever, but like they, they're like, cool, let's go get it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, they're like, well, in that case, let's go kill this damn thing. It was also ravaging their northern border, so they kind of had to deal with it. Right. But still. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, well, that's all in the Baron and Luthien episode. Listen to that one, guys. Yeah. 
So repercussions of this oath. So this ultimately brought one of the Silmarils into the possession of King Thingol. Big, big. And this ensnares King Thingol in the fate of the Silmarils, entwining it with that terrible oath. That terrible oath of Feanor. Yeah, and that eventually leads to not only his demise, but the demise of his kingdom. Yes. And yeah, that puts him and Doriath and all his descendants on the permanent shit list of the sons of Feanor. And as we know, they ultimately sack Doriath. Tragically. All right, moving right along here, let's get into some Second Age stuff. Yeah, let's get into some some oaths from the Second Age. And uh, the next oath on our list is Elendil's Oath. Actually, this uh, covers two. This is a twofer. Yep, this is a two-for-one. Elendil's first oath was sworn to his people and to the people of Middle-earth. Yeah, he swears this oath essentially to adopt Middle-earth as his new home and to protect it here forever after. They ultimately wash up on the shores of middle earth after the destruction of numenor and they're like this is this is where we're going to live now yeah and uh this is significant because it shows that elendil and friends they come in humility as immigrants and not conquerors yeah which they easily could have came as conquerors if they wanted immigrants if not even refugees refugees even hmm so uh we've got a quick uh, excerpt here about what uh, Elendil says, his actual oath. And I think we're going to have Danny attempt to uh, read the Quenya form of it, and I'll, I'll read the translation for you. Indeed. Here we go, guys. Et erelo endorena utilian sinome maruvan ar hildiniar ten ambormenta. And in the common tongue that translates to, out of the great sea to middle earth I am come. In this place I will abide and my heirs unto the ending of the world. And you might recognize that Aragorn sings that in the movie. Yeah, he sings that at the... Uh, his at own his, coronation. Yeah, coronation. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Beautiful. All the, all the flowers are falling. I got to say, uh, during part of this, when I, was, when I was writing some of this stuff down, I was definitely listening to that clip on YouTube of him oh, hell yeah. chanting that. It's really pretty. Very pretty. Viggo Mortensen is just, he adds so much to fucking Aragorn. He's amazing. He really did. Yeah, so that was the first oath that Illendil made. And his heirs do continue to live. I mean, Gondor thrive, continues to, well, maybe not thrive the entire time, but it continues on through the end of his legendarium and on. So they do. They do abide and his heirs until the ending of the world. Yeah. So let's get into another oath that Elendil uh, swore. Yeah, so this is the second uh, oath that we could find that Elendil made, and this was sworn on Amon Sul during the Second Age in the year 3431. And this, of course, was swearing everlasting friendship uh, to Gilgalad, the High King of the Noldor, and forging the last alliance of elves and men. Yeah, and if you want to know more about the last alliance, go back to our episode 41. Such a great episode. The Last Alliance. Such a great episode. Yeah, so this was uh, after they had already, after the Dunedain had washed upon the shore and established some kingdoms and they were having some issues with Sauron again. So they teamed up with Gil-Galad for the Last Alliance. And there's really no good text regarding this oath that is right, that is made here found at Amon Sul. Yeah. It's referenced, but there's really no good text about the oath happening. But we did find in our research, there's a Tumblr blogger known as Ask About Middle Earth who has some really good content, by the way. Go check them out. Check them out. And they summed it up really well in their post that is titled The Great Oaths of the Dunedain. And uh, we'll have Danny read an excerpt here of this post that really uh, sums this up well. 
Soon after the destruction of Numenor, Elendil and Gilgalad swore an oath of alliance, thus founding the last alliance of elves and men, which would ultimately see to Sauron's defeat at the end of the Second Age. Tolkien never gives us the details of this oath, and in fact in the Silmarillion, an actual oath is never mentioned at all, only that they, quote, made the league that which is called the Last Alliance, end quote. But in the Unfinished Tales, it is mentioned that there was an oath, and that Eru was called as witness. Tolkien then points out that Elendil didn't break Numenor's laws since he was a descendant of Tar Elendil, fourth king of Numenor, and so was the closest thing they had to the king of Numenor at that point. Well stated. Right, yeah, because like even like we said, or, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and I was like, well, yeah, what if Numenor, everyone was, all the kings were like, line was wiped out, he mm. would become, because he's he, Lord he would, of Duny. He would naturally be the next in line anyway. Yeah, no yeah. laws broken. Yeah, so it was it was a little hard trying to find some kind of text to back up this oath because, uh, like we just heard in that excerpt, the oath is only referenced directly and mentioned in the Unfinished Tales, and it was uh, in the Unfinished Tales under a different story, under the story of the Oath of Errol and Kyrian, because there's a part in there where it talks about, you know, this oath was the most important since, the, you know, this oath was sworn yeah. between Elendil and Gilgalad. And then, so the, we were like, oh, where's where's that? And there's, yeah, it kind of just spiraled out. Of, yeah, that was a, the hardest part of this episode yeah, by far. <laughs> yeah, so it comes down to it. There isn't any direct text about that oath, but it happened. It happened, trust. And it's referenced in the Unfinished Tales uh, under the oath of uh, Errol and Kyrian. Which, weirdly enough, is what we're... So the repercussions of, of the oath of the Last Alliance are generally just the overthrow of fucking Sauron. Yeah, and just the friendship of elves and men, just basically... Or here ever after. Yeah, the, yeah. the undying friendship to team up against Sauron anytime he comes around. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, the Adain are always mm -hmm. down. Yeah, and I mean that that Doing oath of friendship comes back again, kind of in the War of the Ring. You know, they, yeah, definitely they rekindle that. Yes, but uh, yeah, coincidentally, the next oath on our list is the uh, one I just mentioned from the Unfinished Tales, the Oath of Errol and Kyrian. And this one is really fucking cool, and a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, so this is an oath between Errol the Young, Lord of the Eothed, and Kyrian, the twelfth ruling steward of Gondor. Of course. So let's set the scene for this, uh, guys. Um, let's talk about the Eothead a little bit. They were descendants of uh, what were known as the Northmen of Rovanian. And um, the Great Plague had recently devastated the shit out of the North Kingdom and killed uh, over half of the Kingdom of Rovanian. So that's a lot of people. And uh, so the, the group that was known as the Eothead, they... Um, they settle in the vales of uh, in the vale between the Mirkwood and the Misty Mountains, and uh, those are open fields near the source of the Anduin that are great grazing lands for horses. Yeah, perfect land for horses, and this is where we get the horse people that become known as the Aeothade. Aeothade. Yeah, and so this is during a period in Middle Earth where it's just kind of tough times all around for everybody. All around tough times this time. Yeah, the evils of the time had recently ravaged the realms of men. Mm -hmm. And if you want to like, uh, we're going to speed through this a little bit, but if you want to know more about this in, in, um, in its entirety, see our Kingdoms of the Dunedain series, um, Arnor and Gondor, that's episode 23 and 24. Yeah, which specifically those two. Also would be a good thing to check out before the new series comes out, guys. Because mm, we're going to be definitely going over some Dunedain history. Yes, yes, yes. 
So the Great Plague. It first hit Gondor in Third Age, 1635, and it went for two years until 1637. Yeah, and the plague kills vast percentages of the populations of Gondor and Rovanian, and uh, this could be hundreds of thousands. Yeah, estimated in the hundreds of thousands. Now, there's, so you're telling me that there's a plague that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Wow, wouldn't that suck? Yeah, we, that, we don't man. know anything. We would never know anything about that, yeah, huh? Man, wouldn't that be shitty? Wouldn't that be real fucking shitty? God, that sounds awful. Wouldn't that rob you guys of two years of content from <laughs> Keep On Talking? <laughs> yeah, so over half of the Rovanian kingdom was essentially wiped out by this plague. Uh, Gondor is also ravaged. Ithilien is essentially deserted. Kalandaron. Yeah, Kalanarden is, yeah, is depopulated. Uh, and the Corsairs of Umbar, they are repeatedly attacking the shit out of the coastlines. Yeah, so it's a real shitty time for everybody all around. Let's get into Kirian. Kirian became the 12th ruling steward of Gondor in 3rd Age 2489. Yeah, even though his father, Boromir I, had several military victories, the realm was still barely held together when Kirion took the scepter. Yeah, Osgiliath was ruined and the stone bridge had been broken. Which, oh my god, you guys. Yeah, that brings us to a point. Brings us to a point. The br- so we talk about in a uh, previous episode, the Denethor episode, I believe, we talk about how when Boromir and Faramir broke the bridge, they did it with swole-ass dudes with uh, hammers, right? Yeah, because we talk about how like during the heat of battle, they essentially break the bridge to stop the armies from crossing. We were wondering, how the fuck did they do that? Or how did they bust a stone bridge all of a sudden? Like, Turns out that old bridge was already ruined long before that, and it was probably fucking wood, you guys. Yeah, because the stone bridge was broken here. When Asgiliath was ruined. And so at that time, when Boromir and Faramir were doing their shit, it was just a wood bridge. Probably wood bridge, yeah. yeah, Axes. Yeah, just chop something down. Chop it down. Yeah, so there wasn't a bunch of swole-ass shirtless dudes. Sorry, guys. Sorry (laughs) to put that image in your head. No swole-ass shirtless dudes with sledgehammers. We're sorry. (laughs) No swole-ass Dunedain men. So ultimately, these Ithilien was reclaimed... But depopulated. There were no swell ass shirtless dudes to live there. Nobody living there anymore. And Kirian was concerned with invasion. Uh, the crossing of the Anduin had long been unwatched, and the forts had been destroyed. Yeah, just fucking destroyed. There's nobody watching the river right now. So he sends scouts up the river, and they discover a large group of Easterlings called the Balkoth, and they are clearly planning on invading Gondor. Very clearly. And um, in the spring of Third Age 2905, word came to Kyrian of the mustering of the Balkoth. So he sent forth six messengers to the Aeothate of the North, because they, of course, had been ancient allies of Gondor. Yeah, they did not really expect any help to come, but at least not in time to make a difference. But they still tried. They still tried. Let's talk a little bit about Errol the Young. Yeah, so Errol the Young. He was 16 years old when he became Lord of the Aeothed in the year 2501 of the Third Age. Yeah, and it was following his father's death. His his dad was killed by a horse. Yeah, Errol was uh, 25 years old when six messengers rode out from Gondor asking for his help. Uh, It actually turns out only one made it there, and his name was Borondir Udalraf. Yeah, and I read a little bit about that guy doing research. He's actually a descendant of the of that. Remember how the the Gondorians kind of like mingled with the Northmen of Rovanian during the Kinstrife, like oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. prior to. He's like a, a descendant of them. But yes, so he tells uh, Errol that they need help, and Errol answers the call, and this leads to the Battle of the Field of Celebrant, and this is where the oath comes about. Of course, there's always a reason for the oath, right? And this mm. is why. 
So Kyrian decided it was best to meet the invaders head on. He wasn't about to let the uh, Balkoth cross the Anduin without a fight. So they uh, take a large as force as they could, you know, with all the dead people and whatnot. It's kind of hard, but they go up north. They st- and um, up north is where the Balkoth start crossing the river in rafts, and they push Kyrian's forces back east or west. Excuse me. Yeah, at this time, a horde of orcs also descended from the Misty Mountains. Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> and pushed Kyrian back to the river, and he was now surrounded. And just as everything looked totally fucked, what do we hear on the horizon? The horns of the Aothed sounded in the north. Aeorl had come. Yes. And the the Aothed swept the enemy away and they pursued the Balkoth over the open fields of Kalinardin, which must have been really fun for them. Yeah, just charging on horses. Yeah, after the absolute victory, Kyrian parted from Aeorl, and uh, Kyrian asked Aeorl to meet him in three months' time on the banks of the Maring Stream. So, of course, he does that. And uh, Kyrian takes Aeorl the Young to a hallowed site called Amun Anwar, and uh, I believe this is the Hill of Awe, right, I think it means? And there, uh, before the Tomb of Elendil, they swore an oath. Um, giving the region of Kalinardin to the Aothaid and promising eternal friendship between the two kingdoms. Yeah, Kirion called upon Eru Ilavatar to witness this oath, an act that amazed witnesses, as usually only the king of Ga- the kings of Gondor had that right. Yeah, they kind of do shit like that. <laughs> yeah, Kirion being a steward, right? Right. Uh, so, witnesses. Kirion's son, Halas, prince of Dol Amroth, and two members of the council of Gondor were there to witness this oath mm-hmm. it was very official and this kind of like rehallowed the place where it was taken it made it it gave it a whole new sense of sacredness um and this um it said that no greater oath and this is what we we're talking about that reference it is said that no greater oath has been said by men since elendil swore the oath of allegiance and everlasting friendship to gilgalad upon amun sul yeah back on the forging of the last alliance so this oath between kirion and aeorl this is this is big this is a huge oath of friendship yeah, and it's also considered the founding of Rohan, and Aerol becomes the first king of Rohan. Yeah, this is when they finally get the lands of the kingdom of Rohan. It is officially given to them by the uh, steward of Gondor, Kyrian. And that's one of the things that the Rohirrim call themselves, right? Aerolingus, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the Aerolings. After the oath was taken by Kyrian, he acknowledged that the tradition of the Dúnedain in Kalinardin has been declared void. Yeah, because if you'll remember back from our Elendil episode, Amon Amor was supposed to be the halfway point between the North and South Kingdoms. And since Kalinardin was no longer part of Gondor, it was no longer halfway there. Yeah. So he's essentially saying that's that's officially null. This is yours now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kyrian had the body of Elendil also taken back with him to be laid to rest in Minas Tirith. Another sign of friendship. Yes, of course. And uh, Joel's got an excerpt from... What is this from? So This is from The Unfinished Tales Part 3... Uh, the Third Age, Chapter 2, Kyrian and Aeorl, and the Friendship of Gondor and Rohan. Fantastic chapter. Definitely check it out. Then all those present stood a while in silence with bowed heads, until Kyrian said to Aeorl, If you are ready, take now your oath in such manner as seems to you fitting according to the custom of your people. Aeorl then stood forth, and taking his spear from his esquire, he set it upright in the ground. Then he drew his sword and cast it up, shining in the sun, and catching it again, he stepped forward and laid the blade upon the mound. 
but with his hand still about the hilt. He spoke then in a great voice the oath of Errol. This he said in the tongue of the Aethed, which in the common speech is interpreted. Hear now, all peoples who bow not to the shadow in the east, by the gift of the Lord of the Mundberg, we will come to dwell in the land that he names Kalandarnan, and therefore I vow in my own name and on behalf of the Aethed of the north, that between us and the great people of the west there shall be friendship forever. Their enemies shall be our enemies, their need shall be our need, and whatsoever evil or threat or assault may come upon them, we will aid them to the utmost end of our strength. This vow shall descend to my heirs, all such as may come after me in our new land, and let them keep it faith, keep it in faith unbroken, lest the shadow fall upon them and they become accursed. Then Aeorl sheathed his sword and bowed and went back to his captains. Kirion then made answer. Standing to his full height, he laid his hand upon the tomb, and in his right hand he held up the white wand of the stewards and spoke words that filled those who heard them with awe. For as he stood up, the sun went down in flame in the west, and his white robe seemed to be on fire. And after he had vowed that Gondor should be bound by a like bond of friendship and aid in all need, he lifted up his voice and said in Quenya, Vanda Sina Temarauva Elena Noreo Alcar Enyalian Ar Elendil Verondo Veronwe Nai Tiruvantes Ahar Mahalamasen Mi Nurnin Ar E Eru E or Ilie Amahar Aya Tinio. And again he said in the common speech. This oath shall stand in memory of the glory of the Lord of the Star, and of the faith of Elendil the Faithful, in the keeping of those who sit upon the thrones of the West, and of the One who is above all thrones forever. Such an oath had not been heard in Middle-earth, since Elendil himself had sworn alliance with Gilgalad, king of the Eldar. Wow, that was fantastic. Holy shit, Joel. Yeah, that's a really cool chapter in the Unfinished Tales. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. So that was definitely like fills in a gap for you, you know, how Rohan became to be. So when Aragorn to Elisar ascends to the throne of Gondor later on at the end of the Third Age, he and Eomor of Rohan swore the oath anew as the original oath had been sworn by Kirion with the same traditional formula. Until the king returns. Yeah, and that oath really lives on until uh, the end of the Legendarium. Yeah, and we see it play out. They have that whole red arrow thing. Yep. that they do mm-hmm. and then it's like yo we need you they've got the uh the beacons and i think in my um in my research here i had to cut a lot of those <laughs> but uh i think it's five times that's answered they do the beacon oh really yeah, five times the red arrow sent in, in oh, the history nice. the fifth being the one we hear about in lord of the rings i believe that's really cool yeah, so the next one on our list is the Oath of Hurin and Huor's silence about them having gone to the great city of Gondolin. So this is a, a throwback to the First Age. Yes, of course. And in case you thought we were done with our First Age stuff yeah, already. Never, never. Keep on talking. It's never done with First Age material. Never. Okay? Never. <laughs> <laughs> and this one's uh, fancy uh, because it's uh, it's technically broken as a result of a curse. 
Oh, yeah, this oath is broken because of a curse. It, that that happens later on. See our curses episode coming next. Yeah, coming next. Not the next episode, but the one after. Oh, I'm that. sorry. Yeah, the, <laughs> uh, it's not the next one, but the one after that. Yep. Yeah, so we're gonna get more into that in episode three. The curses. Yeah. So let's, let's let's set the scene a little yeah, bit for set this. Set the scene. Yeah. Setting setting the scene. Um, this oath concerns the sons of Galdor, of course, uh, of the house of Hador, and that's the, that's Hurin Thalion and Huor. His brother. So in the first age, year 456, the two brothers join a group of scouts, and soon after they join up, uh, they are assailed by orcs. Of course, fucking orcs. This is when the orcs are just roaming all over Beleriand. Yeah. Right? And so these brothers are separated from the scouts and all their friends, and they're pursued to the ford of Brithiak. And suddenly, our boy Umo steps in. Yeah, and he sends this, like, mist, this super thick mist to hide the brothers until they can escape to Dimbar. And here, at Dimbar, they are picked up by the eagles of Manway. But who else? Yeah, the brothers are then brought by the eagles to the hidden city of Gondolin by the way of air. So it's kind of, I guess, the eagles making this executive decision. Yeah, what the they fuck? Saw, they saw that Umo... <laughs> well, okay, so I guess it starts with Umo. Umo makes the executive decision, I'm going to interfere here to try to save these yeah. men. And the eagles probably and saw that. the eagles that are like, like, hold okay. my beer. I'm going to bring them to fucking Gondolin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... Uh, the king of Gondolin there, Turgon, he welcomes the brothers. Uh, he was fond of their grandfather, Hador. Yeah, he, uh, Hador was a famous elf friend, of course. Yeah, he was aware of Ulmo's words to deal kindly with the house of Hador. So naturally, when these two just show up, he's going to treat him, treat him well. Yeah, dude. And yeah, they're arrayed as princes. And this really pisses off Turgon's nephew, Maglin, the wannabe cousin fucker. Yeah, Maglin generally hates the race of men and wants to fuck his cousin. Also, we can't iterate enough... That he wants to fuck his cousin. <laughs> like, just like, if you're trying to wonder, is Maglor, a, is, or excuse me, is Maglin a good character? Just think, n- no, he's, no. Just think, is cousin fucking good? Yeah, is cousin fucking good to you? Then maybe, I guess? No, no, it's not. So, but ultimately, uh, this little bitch hates everyone, but he has the favor of King Turgon because he's technically his nephew. He's, so. Yeah, this is only like blood. Really. But this asshole is just constantly uh, jealous as shit and brooding, and mm-hmm. he sucks. So after after having a great time in Gondolin for a few years, our human brothers, uh, Hurin and Huor, they begin to yearn to return home to their people because uh, there's war going on right now. But this, of course, is not permitted by the laws of the Gondolindrum. Uh, anyone who is brought to the city for any reason must remain there until well forever. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of the that's kind of the rule in Gondolin. It's a secret city. Anyone that finds it has to either stay there or die. So your choice. Yeah, for mortals, this basically means till you die. Till you die. Yeah. For elves, it's like I guess I'm hanging out here for the time being. I don't know, maybe a couple thousand undisclosed years, amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, here's a little excerpt from Joel. It's from the Silmarillion, right? Yes, indeed. But Hurin and Huor desired to return to their own people and share in the wars and griefs that now beset them. And Hurin said to Turgon, Lord, we are but mortal men, and unlike the Eldar, they may endure for long years awaiting battle with their enemies in some far-off future day. But for us the time is short, and our hope and strength soon wither. Moreover, we did not find the road to Gondolin, and indeed we do not know surely where this city stands. For we were brought here in fear and wonder by the highways of the air, and in mercy our eyes were veiled. So Turgon, he decides to kind of sidestep the law, and um, he comes up with, it's fair, I guess. He allows them to leave by the way they came, Yeah. Um, if the eagles will participate. 
Yeah, I guess. Wouldn't they, that be a bitch if they didn't? Yeah, right. It was like, I guess technically we don't know where it is. We didn't find the ways, and we can't really tell anyone where it is. Yeah. I mean, Hurin kind of has some idea. He knows it's somewhere within the Crusagrum. Yeah, But exactly. he doesn't know specifically where it is or how to get there. No. And uh, we've got a quick excerpt from Danny. Then Turgon granted his prayer and said, By the way that you came, you have leave to depart if Thorondor is willing. I grieve at this parting, yet in a little while, as the Eldar accounted, we may meet again. little foreshadowing. Yes, he is. But uh, ultimately, the king granting this upsets Maglin, naturally. Yeah, and Maglin gives some shit and says something like, The king's grace is greater than you know. If you followed the law, you'd be stuck here to the end of your life. <laughs> and here's a little excerpt about that from Joel. Then Hurin answered him, The king's grace is great indeed, but if our word is not enough, then we will swear oaths to you. And the brothers swore never to reveal the counsels of Turgon and to keep secret all that they had seen in his realm. Then they took their leave, and the eagles coming bore them away by night and set them down in Dor Loman before the dawn. Their kinsfolk rejoiced to see them, for messengers from Brethel had reported that they were lost. But they would not declare even to their father where they had been, save that they were rescued in the wilderness by the eagles that brought them home. And Hurin said, Be content that we have returned, for only under an oath of silence was this permitted. Then their father questioned them no more, but he and many others guessed at the truth, and in time the strange fortune of Hurin and Hur reached the ears of the servants of Morgoth. If that's not a dun-dun-dun, I don't know what is. And we will certainly touch more on uh, what happens after that in the... Uh, Curses episode. Oh, yeah. Curses is going to be a lot about Hurin. Curses <laughs> yeah. is going to be nuts. Yeah. As we said, this was eventually broken as a result of a curse. But, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about that more in, later on in the Doom trilogy. Because he does end up fucking up and betraying the location of Gondolin. Yeah, unintentionally. But uh, that'll we'll move on from there to the next curse. Or, the, excuse me, the next oath on our list. Yeah, and this one you might not have even really thought was an oath. But it really is. It is. And uh, we are talking about... Gollum's oath on the ring. Yes, and this yeah, so this conserves uh Frodo and Gollum. Let's set the scene. This starts on February 29th, TA 3019, that magic year. And that's when Sam and Frodo capture the creature Gollum, which had been following them for quite some time. Yeah, they capture him in the Emmon Wheel. Funny little anecdote, guys. Sidebar. We actually had our schedule uh, a little fucked up this year uh when we started the season because Joel thought that February 29th was a date. And he yeah. counted it. But then I, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, look at that, February 29th. Look, in Middle Earth, Joel, you would have been right. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, if it was a leap year, I would have been right. Yep. Yeah, I was just doing some generic <laughs> scheduling calculation. I was like, yeah, there's 30 days in a month. <laughs> Always, right? <laughs> but yeah, Gollum had been following them for freaking ever, even through Moria, Lothlorien, and down the Anduin. But ultimately, they ambush Gollum and bind him in elven rope that was given to them by Galadriel. Nasty elves twisted it. Take it off us. Yeah, Gollum hates this shit. And he begs them to be set free from this elven rope. Mm. And uh, we have an excerpt here about this scene read by Danny. No, I will not take it off you, said Frodo. Not unless... He paused a moment and thought, not unless there is any promise you can make that I can trust. 
We will swear to do what we what he wants. Yes, yes, said Gollum, still twisting and grabbing at his ankle. It hurts us. Swear, said Frodo. Smeagol, said Gollum, suddenly and clearly opening his eyes wide and staring at Frodo with a strange light. Smeagol will swear on the precious. Frodo drew himself up and again Sam was startled by his words and his stern voice. On the precious? How dare you, he said. Think. One ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them? Would you commit to your promise to that, Smeagol? It will hold you, but it is more treacherous than you are, and it may twist your words. Beware. Gollum cowered. On the precious! On the precious! he repeated. And what would you swear? asked Frodo. To be very, very good, said Gollum. Then crawling to Frodo's feet, he groveled before him, whispering hoarsely, a shudder ran over him, as if the words shook his very bones with fear. Smeagol will save it, but he will swear on the precious. No, not on it, said Frodo, looking down at him with stern pity. All you wish is to see it and to touch it if you can, though you know it would drive you mad. Not on it, Smeagol. Swear by it, if you will. For you know where it is. Yes, you know, Smeagol. It is before you. For a moment it appeared to Sam that his master had grown and Gollum had shrunk, a tall, stern shadow, a mighty lord who, lit his who hid his brightness in gray cloud, and at his feet a whining dog. Yet the two were in some way akin and not alien. They could reach one another's minds. Gollum raised himself and began pawing at Frodo, fawning at his knees. Down, down, said Frodo. Now speak your promise. We promise, yes. I promise. I will serve the master of the precious. Good master, good Smeagol. Gollum, Gollum. Suddenly he began to weep and bite at his ankle again. Take the rope off, Sam, said Frodo. Reluctantly, Sam obeyed. Yeah, so that's a pretty that's a pretty integral scene. Yes, this is a very important oath. Now that I'm thinking about it, like sitting here, I didn't really, it didn't really hit me. Yeah, this is now. another clinchpin moment. The uh, the whole quest to destroy the ring would have failed had not this, this oath, oath come been, about. Yeah, had smart. had Gollum not sworn to help them and, and follow them, and then ultimately, you know, yeah. uh, go back on his oath. Yeah, and yeah, let's get into some of the repercussions of this oath. This is an oath that binds Gollum in service to Frodo, and Gollum actually does everything he's asked by Frodo from this point on, pretty much. Yeah, the treachery of the ring binds him to his word, and Frodo warns him that swearing by the ring is dangerous, but it is ultimately the only thing that Gollum holds dear, and the only thing that will hold him to his bond. Gollum knows that he cannot break an oath that he swore by the precious. He does, however, attempt to sidestep this oath by having Sheila murder Frodo and Sam in the pass of Kirithungal. <laughs> Infamously, yeah. I won't do it. She'll do it. Let her do it. Gollum does eventually break his oath, though, in the end, by taking the ring by force from Frodo while they're in Mount Doom. And he bit off his one finger. Yes, the same finger that was lost by Sauron when Isildur took the ring by force using the shards of Narsil to cut it. And that's some sort of poetic justice, friends. Yeah, same ring, same hand. And uh, Gollum then immediately trips and falls into the crack of doom after he does that. With the ring? I no. Got, I love that famous scene from the trilogy movies. Yeah. He just falls and... Ah. Bloop, bloop, and it like lands on his hand. Yeah, yeah you just really see cool. his hand sink down. Yeah, it's great. It's great. just cool. And like I was thinking, like, was that chance? Or is it perhaps the result of oath-breaking? Ah, yeah. As we read back in the Oath of Feanor... Oath will pursue Oath and Oathbreaker. Till the ends of the, the earth. Till the end. And he broke his oath and immediately... Bam. 
Just by, yeah, what seems like chance, right? Seems like chance, but it is not. It is doom. Doom. All right, let's get into the next one. Yeah, the next oath on our list is Faramir's oath to Frodo. Yeah, and this oath is taken by Faramir in regards to taking the One Ring from Frodo. Yeah, so let's uh, let's set the scene here. So on March 5th, third age, 3019, that big year, Frodo and Sam meet Faramir, son of Denethor, in the land of Ithilien. Frodo and Faramir have a rather long conversation about the ring without ever explicitly saying what they're talking about. Yeah, it's a very coy type of conversation that they have. Yeah, it's a very... Uh, I don't want to say a high intelligence conversation. Yeah, the, you need the, to roll high intelligence scores to 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 navigate this yeah, conversation. Yeah, both both people participating in this conversation are on both sides are speaking very uh, well. Yes, they're they're choosing their words very carefully and wisely. Yes, and uh, but also ultimately, um, due to Faramir's dream, he knew about the Council of Elrond and Isildur's bane. And Faramir is fucking smart and pretty much guesses that Isildur's bane is the One Ring. And he then swears that he would not try to take the ring if that's even what they're talking about. But that turns out it is indeed what Frodo is carrying. And um, this is going to be an excerpt from The Two Towers by Joel. What in truth this thing is I cannot yet guess, but some heirloom of the power and peril it must be, a fellow weapon perchance devised by the Dark Lord, if it were a thing that gave advantage in battle, I can well believe that Boromir, the proud and fearless, often rash, ever anxious for the victory of Minas Tirith, might desire such a thing and be allured by it. But fear no more. I would not take this thing if it lay by the highway. Not were Minas Tirith falling in ruin and I alone could save her, so using the weapon of the Dark Lord for her good and my glory. No, I do not wish for such triumphs, Frodo son of Drogo. Neither did the council, said Frodo, nor do I. I would have nothing to do with such matters. For myself, said Faramir, I would see the white tree in flower again in the courts of the kings, and the silver crown return, and Minas Tirith in peace. Minas Anor again as of old, full of light, high and fair, beautiful as the queen among other queens. So fear not, I do not ask you to tell me more. I do not even ask you to tell me whether I now speak nearer the mark. But, if you will trust me, it may be that I can advise you in your present quest, whatever that be. Yes, and even aid you. God, Faramir is so cool. I love that. He literally just works it all out by himself. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, I swear I know straight up I would not take it if it lay on the fucking highway. And later on, uh, when uh, Sam accidentally reveals while they're in their hideout that he is carrying the ring, uh, he, you know. Yeah, keeps with this shit. It's great. And the, yeah, and the, he's a farmer. He's a fan, he's a man of his word. So when he does learn of it, he says like, "All right, that was my oath. I took that oath, and I will not only help and protect you, and I will aid you on your quest, and not take it from you." Yeah, it was an oath to himself. Yeah, that's what kind of guy he is. Faramir made the oath to himself. He's like, all right, I said that. That's my word. I wouldn't take it if it lay by the highway. Now I know for sure what it is. I'm bound to my oath. Yeah, and this action allows Frodo continue to continue his journey instead of having to go to Minas Tirith and deal with crazy-ass Lord Denethor. Yeah, you don't want that. No. And Faramir's Oath also allows Frodo to pass through Athelion on his way to Mordor uh, pretty much unhindered. Yeah, he gives them the awesome supplies, which uh, help them really a lot in, during their next leg of the journey. They, they seriously needed to re-up their supplies. And most importantly, this oath, in effect, kind of redeems the actions of his brother Boromir. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, it's like there, it came to the point where it's like, all right, I can help you or hinder you. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know? All right. So let's jump to the next oath on our list here. Our next oath we're going to cover is Pippin's Oath to Denethor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered this a little bit in the last episode, the Denethor episode, but here we are again, guys. <laughs> uh, let, let's uh, let's set the scene. Yeah, so this oath is when Peregrine Took swears his service to Denethor and to Gondor as payment for Boromir saving his life. Uh, so kind of setting the scene for this one. So this happens on March 9th in the Third Age 3019 when Gandalf and Pippin arrive in Minas Tirith. And they go before Denethor to bring tidings and take counsel. Denethor seems to know a lot more than they thought he did about things taking place. Yeah, he's stricken with grief at the loss of his son Boromir. And uh, Pippin is moved to speak on his own behalf. And Pippin swears loyalty to Gondor and personal service to Denethor. And uh, he considers this basically paying for the debt of uh, the life of Boromir. And we've got an excerpt here from Danny. But I honor his memory, for he was very valiant. He died to save us, my kinsman Mariotic and myself, waylaid in the woods by the soldier of the soldiery of the Dark Lord. And though he fell and failed, my gratitude is none the less. Then Pippin looked the old man in the eye, for pride stirred strangely within him, still stung by the scorn and suspicion in that cold voice. Little service, no doubt, will so great a lord of men think to find in a hobbit, a halfling from the northern shire. Yet such as it is, I will offer it in payment of my debt. Twitching aside his gray cloak, Pippin drew forth his small sword and laid it at Denethor's feet. I see that strange tales are woven about you, said Denethor. And once again it is shown that looks may belie the man or the halfling. I accept your service, for you are not only daunted by words, and you have courteous speech. Strange though the sound of it may be to us in the south, and we shall have need of all folk of courtesy, be they great or small, in days to come. Swear to me now. The old man laid the sword along his lap. Pippin put his hand to the hilt and said slowly after Denethor, Here do I swear fealty and service to Gondor, and to the lord and steward of the realm, to speak and to be silent, to do and to let be, to come and to go, in need or plenty, in peace or war, in living or dying, from this hour henceforth, until my lord release me, or death take me, or the world end. So say I, Peregrine, son of Paladin, of the Shire, of the Halflings. Hell yeah, Pippin. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Like he speaks for himself. Like he's he, by the way, he's not even uh of age, remember? Yeah. He's a teenager. He's still in his tweens. Yeah. He's twenty nine, right? He's twenty seven, I think. Something like that. So Pippin's oath put him in the service of Gondor, and uh, he is now pretty close to Denethor. And he gives him a candid look into the mind of Denethor. Right. This allows him to be the first one to see the madness of Denethor truly take over. And uh, it puts Pippin in the position to save Faramir's life when Denethor tries to burn him alive. Yeah, this oath literally saves Faramir's life. Straight up. Just straight up. Yeah, this arrays Pippin as a knight of Gondor as well. And he is the king's man in the Shire for the rest of his life after the events of the War of the Ring. Yeah, and that's appropriate as Pippin is actually the heir of Paladin, Took, the Thane of the Shire. Yeah, so Look that makes that. sense. Makes actually, sense. It's, it's already pretty appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that's a pretty great oath, and it, like we mentioned, it, it yeah. helps save Faramir's life. It's pretty big. Yeah, and speaking of oaths of hobbitry... Yeah, it's cause sort, of, sort of right around the same time that Pippin is making his oath. That brings us to the next oath on our list... Mary's oath to Theoden, of course. Of course. 
Yeah, so this is when Mariotic Brandybuck swears an oath of an oath of loyalty and service to King Theoden of Rohan. Let's set the scene. After Mary's separated from the rest of the fellowship, he's left in Rohan, and there isn't a whole hell of a lot to do for a hobbit in this situation. Yeah, Mary meets up with King Theoden as they're in the same company, and he is filled with love for him. And he swears an oath to Theoden to be uh, essentially in the service of Rohan. And we've got an excerpt here about that. Yes, indeed. This is from what the uh, Return of the King, Book uh, 5, Chapter 2, Passing of the Great Company. But come now, eat and drink, and let us speak together while we may, and then you shall ride with me. May I? said Mary, surprised and delighted. That would be splendid. He had never felt more grateful for any kindness in words. I am afraid I am only in everybody's way, he stammered. But I should like to do anything I could, you know. I doubt it not, said the king. I have had a good hill pony made ready for you. He will bear you as swift as any horse by the roads that we shall take. There are no great weapon hordes here, lord, answered Aymer. Maybe a light helm mate might be found for him, but we have no mail or sword for one of his stature. I have a sword, said Mary, climbing from his seat and drawing from its, from its black sheath his small bright blade. Filled suddenly with love for the old man, he knelt on one knee and took his hand and kissed it. May I lay the sword of Mariadoc of the Shire on your lap, Theoden King? He cried. Receive my service, if you will. Gladly I take it, said the king, and laying his long old hands upon the brown hair of the hobbit, he blessed him. Rise now, Mariadoc, esquire of Rohan, of the household of Meduseld, he said. Take your sword and bear it unto good fortune. As a father you shall be to me, said Mary, for a little while said Theoden. Yeah, that's a super awesome little bit. I love that yeah. part. Also slightly tragic, because <clears throat> at the end, it's sort of a little foreshadowing, I think, of, of Theoden's coming he, yeah, demise. He says just for yeah, just for a little while. So let's look at the re repercussions of this oath. It puts Mary into the service of the king. Yeah, Mary takes his oath seriously, too. This leads him to essentially disobeys Theoden. Yeah, straight up disobey orders. Yeah, his order to not come with them to battle. Uh, he secretly rides in with a character called Elfhelm. Or, he, or, I'm sorry, he secretly rides in to battle with Elfhelm's company with a character known as Durnhelm. Yeah. Durnhelm, Elfhelm, lots of helms. A lot of helms going on. A lot of helmets, you know. Uh, and this puts him in the position to help destroy the Witch King of Angmar. Very important. Yeah, this is a very good repercussion. This is a huge, another big lynching point in the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Yeah, only his sword could breach the protection spell on the Witch King because it was actually made by the uh, Dunedain to wound the Witch King. Yeah, the men of Westerness in the uh, in the old North Kingdom, right? Yeah, so this is just another instance of doom just really coming together. Yeah, and doing what it needs to in the right moment. Yeah, dude. So let's get into it. Our very last one, number 12 on I, the list. I really love this oath, guys. This is going to be a great one to end on. This is Aragorn's oath to the Drudane. And this is also kind of a twofer. A little bit of a twofer we're here. We're going to cover Aragorn's oath to the Drudane and kind of the Drudane's oath to Theoden initially. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit in the Unsung Heroes episode, but we're going to uh, touch on it again here. Um, the first oath is the oath that Han Burihan swears to Theoden. And the second one is the oath Aragorn swears to the Drudane. Yeah, let's set the scene a little bit for this. So... This is uh, 
right before the Battle of Pelennor Fields, uh, the Rohim are in, in the foothills of the White Mountains, and they're on their way to Minas Tirith to try to help defend the city. Right. And King Theoden is approached by a wild man from the Drudan Forest. And he's the leader of the Druidain, and they're an ancient race of people that outdoor, that they outdate the Numenorean culture in Middle-earth, and now they only mostly live in the Drudan Forest. Yeah, and this leader's name is Han Borihan. Love that name. And he offers to guide the Rohirrim to a secret road that will not only help them avoid an oncoming ambush that they didn't know about till now, but also it will get them to Minas Tirith even faster than they had intended. And he uses an old-fashioned oath uh, that, you know, some people you might hear about in history, you know, kill me if I lie. Yeah, if I'm lying, just fucking kill me, dude. That's my oath. That's a pretty old-fashioned type of oath. Yeah. And we've got an excerpt here about this from Danny. This is an excerpt from The Return of the King, Book 5, The Ride of the Rohirrim. Let Han Burihan speak, said the wild man. More than one road he knows. He will lead you by road where no pits are, where no gorgon walk. Only wild men and beasts. Many paths were made when stone house folk were stronger. They carved hills as hunters carve beast flesh. Wild men think they ate stone for food. They went through Druidan to Riman with great wains. They go no longer. Road is forgotten, but not by wild men. Over hill and behind hill it lies, still under grass and tree. There, behind Riman and down the din and back at the end of the horseman's road. Wild men will show you that road, when you will kill Gorgon and drive away bad dark with bright iron, and wild men can go back to sleep in the wild woods. If you are faithful, Hanbury Han, then we will give you rich reward, and you shall have the friendship of the mark forever. Dead men are not friends to living men, and give them no gifts, said the wild man. But if you live after darkness, then leave wild men alone in woods and do not hunt them like beasts anymore. Khan Burihan will not lead you into a trap. He will go himself with father of horsemen. If he leads you wrong, you will kill him. So be it, said Theoden. Yeah, that's a very old kind of oath. I love, I love when he responds with, dead men are not friends to living <laughs> yeah, men yeah. and give no gifts. Yeah. Why don't you work on surviving your uh, struggle to exist first, and then yeah, then yeah. we'll talk. We we'll talk about gifts and shit. Dead men <laughs> yeah. don't give gifts. Just leave us alone. Yeah, I I love that whole exchange. is so great. I love Hanbury Han. I wish there was a whole book about him. So some of the repercussions of this oath. So this uh, proves once and for all that the men of the West, to uh, for the men of the West, that the Druidane are an honorable people. They just want to live in peace. Uh, up until now, it, they'd kind of been considered savages. Yeah, and they would like haunt them and shit for fun. So, like, yeah, bro. They weren't treated well. No, and it's like, yeah, we just want to live in peace like everybody else. Just leave us the fuck alone. We'll leave you alone. So this brings us to uh, after the War of the Ring, right? Aragorn actually swears an oath to the wild men of the Druidan Forest to try to, to uh, thank them. Thank them and consolidate this whole alliance between them and the men of the West. Or we got a excerpt here written by or read by Joel, and this is from Return of the King, Book Six, Chapter Six, Many Partings. At last, the day of departure came, and a great and fair company made ready to ride north from Minas Tirith. Without haste and at peace, they passed into Anorian, and they came to the great wood under Amondin. And there, they heard a sound as of drums beating in the hills, though no living thing could be seen. 
Then Aragorn let the trumpets be blown, and heralds cried, Behold, the king Elisar is come. The forest of Druidan he gives to Hanbury Han and to his folk to be their own forever, and hereafter let no man enter it without their leave. Then the drums rolled loudly and were silent. I love that part. It's so fucking cool. Like, you can't see the Druidan. Yeah, and I think it's. The Druidan, but you you can hear them. I think it even says after that, like, no living man ever saw them again. They never saw them again. Yeah. They never, straight up, never saw them again. They got to live in peace, presumably. So, the repercussions of this oath. It shows that Aragorn acknowledges that uh, the the that key help was given to him by the Druidan in their um in yeah. their struggle against Sauron. Yeah, because honestly, Minas Tirith might have fallen. It had the uh, oh totally had yeah. the Rohirrim not gotten there in time, and Hanberry Han yeah. saved them from an ambush and got them there even faster. Yeah, and not a doubt in my mind it would have failed if yeah because they would have taken an ambush from Kyra Andros because remember that had just fallen mm-hmm. and that would have been. Yeah, they would have been fucked. Absolutely yeah. destroyed. And this is uh, also the autonomy of the Druidan Forest is uh, a f- a forever established, and no man may enter there without leave. Yeah, and as we mentioned before, no wild man ever was ever seen by a man of the West ever again. Yes, yes. Which yes. is uh, a good thing, honestly, if you ask me. Yeah. They get, just, their, they get their peace from all this bullshit. Yeah, they don't want to live the way they live. Just let them live their own yeah. lives. So that was the uh, the last oath we had on our list of oaths, folks. Yeah, hopefully you loved the Oaths episodes. I loved writing this. It was very fun. Yeah, this was great because this was really integral for a lot of characters. Yes. I love characters swearing. There's a lot of oaths of like friendship and stuff going on. Yeah, and it also kind of gives you uh, a little insight of what we mean about doom. Yes. And Tolkien's concept yeah. of doom. Yeah, doom or destiny. And uh, so this was only episode one of our Doom trilogy, folks. So tune in next week for part two of our Doom trilogy. That is prophecies oh yeah we're gonna be all talking about all these prophecies there's a ton of prophecies there's a lot of really cool prophecies in tolkien you're probably thinking of them right now and we are gonna cover them so stay tuned folks but that's about all we've got for you today yeah thanks for listening to the kot podcast make sure you follow us on social media follow us on twitter at kot podcast if you want to follow me i am at danny j kot and you can follow us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com forward slash official keep on Tolkien. Also, while you're there, don't forget to join the KOT Talk group and, you know, join some discussions and uh, share some memes with us. Yeah, go ahead and follow us on Instagram too at, at keep on Tolkien podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, or iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and that'll be www.thatwebsite.com slash keep on Tolkien. Yeah, stay up to date with all the new episodes and content, and don't forget to rate us and give us a nice review if you like us. Yeah, if you don't, keep it to yourself. Yeah, keep it to yourself. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for giving to the Patreon. Like we said, this whole fucking season is because of you guys. Yeah, this is all because of the patrons. Uh, We probably wouldn't even be back on air right now if it was not for you patrons. Nope. This is still a DIY podcast. We do still pay for some of this out of pocket, but I cannot even begin to tell you how much the the donations on Patreon have, have helped us so, so much. Yeah, and that helps uh, to bring you new great content with the same level of quality that you expect. Um, subscribing can also unlock some super cool uh, exclusive content. we got to yeah. put more on there soon. So, yeah, Patreon, we've got some good, <laughs> uh, fun Patreon content on there, so go ahead and check that out. Yeah, and that's always not safe for work, and uh, it's not so much content as just having fun, really. Yeah, it, it really is a lot of fun, so thank yeah. you for donating. 
And also something that's come up recently is uh, people wanting to do private one-time donations. If Patreon really isn't your speed, you don't want to subscribe to something. That's absolutely okay. Absolutely okay. Yeah, we uh, we accept one-time private donations. Um, shoot us an email or a message on social media, and we will make it happen. We've done it with PayPal and other services. However, so we can make it work. We'll make it work. But that's all we've got for you today, folks. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And as always, keep, keep on, on talking. Hooray and to Luva, va, 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 va.